<clears throat> let's pray. We're going to go to the Word, and we want the Word to transform us. I mean, honestly, I, I hope, um, what's that little say? I hope you're in it to win it, because we've gathered here, not because we didn't have anything else to do. How are you guys doing? Front rower people, man. That's, I like front row people. That's awesome. Good to see you guys. Uh, I hope that you're in it to win it spiritually, because there's all kinds of things you could have done today, even if it was just sleep in. I mean, seriously. But you chose to be in the house of the Lord, so let's make the most of every moment as we grow and become everything God has called us to be. There's an event that happens in January every year in St. Croix, uh, Minnesota. So sorry to tell you, the event is done for the year. So when you hear this, you're going to say, I wish I would have known earlier because I would have participated. In St. Croix, uh, in Minnesota, uh, in January, is what they call the St. Croix uh, Winter Ultra 40. You say, what's that mean? It means you get to run 40 miles in January in Minnesota at night while dragging along a sled with about 30 pounds of survival gear. True story. It's over, but you can sign up for next year. Um, <clears throat> there's an interesting thing about this. Uh, I mean, it's obviously snow-covered, and there's trails, and, and it's all contained in the park. Uh, but 25% of the people don't finish the race, which I thought was a pretty good statistic. I thought it'd be more like about 10% finished, but 25% don't finish, 75% do. But they figured out over the years there's a point where they lose more people than any place else in the race. The hot chocolate bar. No, that's, well, maybe. At mile marker 24, there's check-in 24, they call it. And when you get there, you got 16 more miles to go. You've gone 24 miles, and you actually have to get your survival gear. You've got to set up this little bivy. It's a little tiny little tent that goes around your sleeping bag. You've got to put a sleeping bag in there. You've got to do several other things to prove that you, in the event of something disastrous, you could survive the night out there because it's, most people arrive at this checkpoint at about 10 p.m. to midnight, and so they have to set all that up. What they discovered is you set up the, the little sleeping bag tent, and then you put your sleeping bag, and you have to go in and cozy up in there for at least 30 seconds, and that's where they lose people. Seriously, because you're, believe it or not, even zero if you're running, and I do not know this from experience, I've just heard it, that you still sweat. And so you're all sweaty, you get in there, and you get this respite from this cold air, and it feels wonderful. And so you think, now I've got to get out, and with all the sweat on me, and now back into the cold, and I've got to repack everything up and go for another 16 miles. And 25% of the people said, I think I'm done right here. They said the most dangerous thing on this race when it comes to completing it or not completing it, the most dangerous thing is stopping. Isn't that interesting? I read that story and I thought, hmm, we're running a race. We're running a race. And the most dangerous thing we can do is stop running the race. Now, I didn't say when you stop, you lose your salvation, you're hell-bound. That's not what I'm teaching. But what I am saying is, you kind of get comfortable. Now, I don't know if you've been there. I have. 
and maybe you have too, where you're just kind of comfortable. And so the passion and energy and effort and focus you used to have running the race, you don't seem to have so much anymore. But we're hoping to turn that around today. I want to turn it around to my life. hope you turn it around to your life. And so we're going to talk about these pillars uh, of revival. And the focus for today will be um, time and focus, some of the pillars for revival. Time and focus. Think about the things you have accomplished in life. Think about the things you would like to accomplish. It doesn't really matter if it's as simple as, say, I just want to finish reading a book, or I want to finish my high school education, or my college, or go back and get some education, or maybe it's developing a skill. Maybe you say, I want to, I want to improve my athletic prowess. I want to learn a language. I want to, to become proficient with an instrument. Uh, maybe it's something like I want to develop some friendships, or you know, keep the house clean, or the grass groomed, or there's a hundred different, thousand different things. But as you think about those things, you might notice that every single one of those things required time and focus. Time and focus. And as we develop our spiritual lives, guess what? It's going to require time and focus. Now, all mixed in there, of course, is energy and effort and those kind of things, but time and focus. Now, we often get stagnated because we don't really prioritize our walk with God and the time and focus needed to develop spiritual habits to foster growth. And, and growth, by the way, growth is not just the acquisition of knowledge and information. Now, that's very, very important to have knowledge and information. It's a beginning point. But really... What causes growth is the application of the knowledge and information that you have. That's what actually causes transformation. And the Word of God is a transforming power, and we need to spend some time and focus in the Word of God. So James is right. James, the brother of Jesus, writes that don't just be hearers of the Word, but be doers. Be hearers, not hearers only, but hearers and doers. For the person who hears the word and does the word, that person shall be blessed in all their deeds. I think we've forgotten the blessing of spiritual vitality. Do you know the Bible says that we should guard our spiritual lives with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life? Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest measure, have it overflowing, have it abundant. We need to remind ourselves of the glory and, and the wonder of growing in our walk with God. Now, I want you to listen carefully because this is a truth a lot of people don't really pause long enough to figure out, or maybe we don't want to know it. Today in the United States of America, you have more discretionary time. Now, I want to make sure you know what that, that means free time, that you get to do whatever you want with it than you had in any other point in history. There was a lot of time in the United States where it took sunrise, sunset, and more just to survive. Just to survive. Now, I appreciate all you folks who have your farms, and I, I mean this. This is not picking on your farms, but I think it was Liana. Is Liana in here somewhere? Hi, Liana. Liana was telling me one day that she was going to leave church and go home and kill a chicken. Pluck a chicken, gut a chicken, cook a chicken, and eat a chicken. 
Same one. All the same bird got all this treatment. And I admired that. I just said, you know what? When Sam's quit selling me a chicken for $4.99, already grown, cooked, plucked, gutted, flavored, and put in a plastic container for me, then I might think about hiring her to kill a chicken for me. So that, but I hear the stories of my great-grandmother. It took all day just to survive. When you made Sunday dinner 100 years ago for the preacher, it was a big deal. It took a lot of work. Today we have all this time. Now I know someone says, hey, I don't have all that time. I got four kids. They're all in two or three sports. They're on the debate team. They're an honor student. They, they, they travel with the drama team. They do all this and that. And I don't have hardly any time. Well, I want you to know this. That's discretionary time that you chose to use in those ways. I'm not telling you not to use it in those ways. I just want to tell you that's different. You have chosen to invest time and energy into those things, and you are on a 20-year rat race, you know, to get all that done. Somebody told me one time, my kids were growing up, they said, do not let them play hockey. I said, why? I said, because a close game in hockey will be Cincinnati. I went, okay, good point. Not that my kids want to play hockey anyway, but, you know, sometimes we think, well, I had to drive, you know, 40 miles for a basketball game. That's nothing like hockey where you're playing all over the United States. So, learn some things, where we put our time. Now, it's interesting, too, because you, you say, I don't have any time, but according to the stats, it never changes that we keep watching all kinds of TV. Now we don't just have TV, we have screens. They don't show TV watching time, they show screen time, because you got the TV screen, and you got the computer screen, and you got the tablet screen, and you got the smartphone screen. You got all these screens. And even though we say we're so busy, because we all feel like we are so busy, we're all so busy, we still find time to binge watch TV. Hmm. There was a day where binge watching was not cool. There was a day where you went to this place, and, and maybe you've never heard of this, there used to be this store called Blockbuster. And you would go in there. Now back in the early days, you just had to go in there and watch a play, but then pretty soon they started getting VHSs and CDs and DVDs and all that. So you would go in there, and you'd get a movie for the weekend. Maybe if you were crazy, you might get two. But then you'd see that one crazy person that was coming to the counter with like nine of them. And you said to yourself, what's wrong with them? Do they not have any friends? Do they not get out? Are they not planning on going outside this weekend? And you actually felt sorry for them. But now, you can get on your social media and people be asking all the time, hey, you got some new series I can binge watch for the weekend? I was flipping through the channel, saw some guy that said, I don't even remember what the show was or who he was, but he said, hey, I discovered this show and I know what I'm doing this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. He's going to binge watch hours and hours and seasons of, of some kind of show. Now, I'm not trying to beat you up because I know most of you in here do that. Now, I can tell you this, back several months ago, it might have been around Christmas time, my son Sean was home, and I think I might have even told you this story. We're sitting there watching some TV, and I look at him and I say, do you ever look at that TV screen and say, what a colossal waste of time? We have a real life that we're not living while we sit here and watch a make-believe life. 
I don't know if you've ever watched a James Bond movie. In real life, James Bond would be dead in three minutes. The first three minutes of every movie, he'd be dead in real life. But, but anyway, we're watching a make-believe life, and we're just spending our lives, our real life, watching make-believe lives. What a colossal waste of time. We sat think about that all the time, and then we watched two or three more hours of TV as we sat there. So I feel your pain. So we got time. It's not a matter of time. It's probably a little matter of understanding the value of spiritual growth. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with watching some good wholesome TV, if you can find it. There's nothing wrong with watching some good wholesome TV. There's nothing wrong with your kids being in a sporting event. There's nothing wrong. No, those things aren't wrong. But where are we carving out time for God? Because God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, it didn't say seek only. You hear me preach this with regularity. Probably every January I talk about this. It didn't say seek only, but it said seek first. And so when all of a sudden you look at your life and you realize that God's somewhere down on level 10 or 12 or 15 of your life, you're not doing that Bible verse. You're not seeking first the kingdom of God. And so I want to challenge us today, me included, to get back to setting aside that time to grow spiritually and get transformation by time and focus being put into our spiritual lives. Jesus tells a story of, of a farmer sowing seed in, in Mark 4. And when he's done with it, the disciples come and say, hey, uh, what's that story about? And he said, I'll tell you what it's about. And so we get this look in. He, Jesus doesn't do this very often, but he actually gives us a clear explanation of what that parable was, and we're going to read the explanation. So in Mark 4, Jesus said, and here's what the story's about. The farmer was sowing some seed, but Jesus says, the farmer sows the word, the word of God. And then it begins to talk about four soils and then four results to the seed as it impacts that soil. It says, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown, but as soon as they hear it, the path is a hard place. And so the seed goes out. And he's, so when you sow, you're not planting. Sowing's different than planting. You're like reaching in a bag and you're tossing. That's sowing. And so the farmer's sowing. He's getting that seed out as fast and furious as he can. Maybe I've been watching too much TV. Um, some of you are going, what's he talking about? Okay, fast. You got it. Thank you. That's my best joke for the day. Yeah, that's it. So anyway, he's getting that seed out there. Some falls on rocky soil. And the original parable says the birds of the air come to eat it up. Jesus defines what the birds of the air are. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes, the devil, to take away the word that's sown in them. We're getting some warning from Jesus. The devil wants to steal the word. You know, the reason the devil wants to steal the word is because the word of God, if we act on it and live it, has such transformative power, it's crazy. We'll see that in just a little bit. It's crazy. It, it's, it's beyond norm. It's beyond the natural, what the Word of God can do to transform a life. And you become incredibly dangerous to the devil's kingdom when you start living the Word of God. You become very, very dangerous. So immediately he comes to steal that Word out of your heart. There may be someone right now who don't even know what I'm talking about because your mind drifted away watching the ceiling fan. Guess what? Satan came to steal that word out of your heart. He came with a, a distraction. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, 
I really didn't hear what he said because I was wondering where I was going to eat lunch today. Okay, you can figure all that out later. Focus. Focus. Immediately, Satan comes to steal the word out of your heart. You may say, I don't need this. You may say, I've heard this before, so you check out. It doesn't matter. He's got a thousand different strategies to try to steal this word out of your heart. So stay focused. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. Now, that's good. Rocky places, um, if you know much about farming or planting a garden or whatever, if there's rock under there, there's not a lot of dirt for the, the plant to really get a root system in. And so here it says, they're rocky place. They hear the word at once, receive with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. Now you're going to get a heads up here. You ready? It says this, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So what causes them to fall away? Trouble or persecution because of the word. Not just trouble and persecution in general, but because of the word. So you're here today. You might get excited about this word, go to school or work tomorrow, and you start talking about the Word of God. And they say, I don't want to hear that junk. I don't want you. I, I hope you're not going to turn into one of those Bible-thumping, crazy Christian people, and so you get persecuted for it. And immediately you say to yourself, I didn't feel very good. I don't like that. And you can quickly fall away. But you don't have to. You can say, ah, oh, I got a heads up from Jesus that trouble and persecution would come because of the word. So I'm going to hang tough. I'm not going to let the glorious transformation of the word of God be stolen out of my life by some knucklehead who thinks I'm a Bible-thumping, crazy Christian person. Just go on. Keep growing. Now, it says, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, I want to ask for a show of hands, but I'm pretty sure it'd be close to 100%. Have you had any worries come up in your life in the last 30 days? And I said, well, I'm going to ask for a show of hands, but yeah, you all volunteer. Like, a, hey, yeah. You're saying to yourself, 30 days? I thought you were going to say last 30 minutes. No. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I've had worries. What are we going to do about it? Well, Jesus told us what to do about it. He said, cast all your care on him. Cast all your care on him. He said, don't be worried, full of anxiety, worry, fear about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Who of you by worrying, Jesus said, can add a single inch to your height, add a day to your life? How can... No, so he said, cast your cares on me because I care for you. So all these things, there's a remedy in Scripture if you know the word of God. But you got to know the word of God. Cressa was telling us about somebody she knows who, who um, doesn't believe in Jesus. Super nice person. Said, in fact, so, such a nice, moral, kind person. You'd think they're a Christian. But they don't believe in Jesus. And so they got on the subject. She said she's not hateful about the gospel or Jesus or anything. But they got on the subject. And the person told him that um, you know, one of the th problems they have with Jesus in the Bible. And so they told him a story and, about what the Bible says. And Cressa said, that, but the Bible doesn't say that. You know, everybody thinks they know what the Bible says. But she said, here's what the Bible actually says. And the person said, wow, that makes a whole lot more sense than what I thought the Bible said. And said, right, because the Bible's a pretty sharp book. Now, there's something about it in all of us. 
we think we know a whole lot more than what we do about any topic. I've told you this before. I'll go into a restaurant sometime. I'll look around, maybe not getting that good a service, and I say, you know what, if I owned this place, and then I'll tell Darlene all the stuff I would do to it. You know how many restaurants I've owned? None. And I see that as pastoring, because people say, well, if I pastor this church, I'll tell you what I would do. I would build a new sanctuary here, and I'd do that. And so by the time they're done, they've spent $5 million, you know. And so you go, well, I'd like to do all that too. Can you write a check for $5 million to make that happen? We all think we know a lot of stuff. We need to really get to know the Word of God. It has transforming power. So it says, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth or riches. We just talked about, see, riches and wealth aren't wrong in the Scripture, but their ability to deceive you is very powerful. The Laodicean church says, I don't need nothing. And Jesus said, yeah, you do. You think your money makes you righteous or holy, but it doesn't. I think as Paul told Timothy, there'll be time when people will think that, that gain, you know, gain is a, a sense of godliness, but it's not. Godliness is godliness and gain is gain, and I hope you prosper in everything you do. But I want to say never forget that apart from him, we have nothing and can be nothing. It's all, every good and perfect gift from above. So thank God every day. So the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, that's other than God and his word, come in and choke the word, making it what? Unfruitful. Now we could say, but Tracy, I thought the word of God was always fruitful. And Isaiah, God says that the word that goes out of my mouth, it accomplishes everything I send it to do. And it doesn't come back until it's done its job. And you're telling me the word's unfruitful? I'm telling you the word's never unfruitful to God because he has tremendous faith in his word. There's a story in Hebrews, I think it says, that the gospel, the good news, was preached to the children of Israel in the desert, but they didn't mix it with faith. And so we've got to take the word of God and mix it with faith and trust that it's true. And when we don't do that, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things, the cares of this life come in and choke out the word and makes the word unfruitful. All these are ploys of the devil because you are a danger when you get fruitful. Now others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word and accept it. They embrace it. They hold on to it. They retain it. They believe it. And they produce a crop some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Now, I've said this wrong before, so I always try to correct it. I've, I've said stuff like, man, if you make an investment in anything and you get a 30% return on that investment, that's huge. It really is. Don't ever look and see what your savings account is yielding you. It'll be anywhere from 0% to like 0.02%. It'll be, it'll be awful. But this isn't a percent. One day I was really looked at that and said, wow, I've, I've said that wrong. It's 30 times. So just use the money because we can kind of all understand that. If I invested $10 and got a 30% return, I'd, I'd get three bucks, which is a good return on investment. But this says 30 times. Now, if I have $10 times 30, that's 300 that's why the, the investment in the kingdom of God in your spiritual life returns supernatural, unnatural return on investment. 
30% is an incredible return on investment. This is 30 times. So your 10 doesn't turn into 13, your 10 turns into 300. Now this isn't about money here, but that's just the way we can understand the concept here. And so there we have some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. The potential for your and my life to be transformed by getting the word and accepting it, retaining it, watching out for all these things that can try to steal it is just astronomical, unnatural, but that's how big our God is. See, I, I don't believe that we're destined to be a certain type of soil either. You may say, well, I'm just, that's just what I am. I'm just the rocky soil, or I'm just the, the stony path, or I'm just what, no, we, we got some, we got some, ability here with God's help to change that. So we should be praying. They say, Lord, I want to be good soil. Help me, Holy Spirit, to be good soil. Empower me to be good soil. And you'll be good soil if you'll hear what we are talking about today and apply, accept and apply. You got all kinds of heads up from Jesus on how to be good soil. So here's some things to be aware of. First of all, Satan and his demonic strategies. You have an enemy of your soul, the devil. And we in the United States of America, we kind of feel like that maybe the devil and demons, they don't have a visa into the country. So we hear stories about it in Africa and, you know, South America and different places like that. And we go, okay, I get that. But here, we don't have that. Oh, no, here, the devil's strategy is to lull you to sleep and believe he doesn't exist. And that way... He can have free reign. So be aware of Satan as demonic strategies. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. I'll probably touch on it again. He said, I'm not ignorant of Satan's devices. Another translation, I'm not unaware of Satan's schemes. Because when he's unaware, he says Satan gains an advantage over him or outwits him. So he said, I'm not being outwitted and I'm not being taken advantage of because I'm not ignorant of Satan's devices. Now, ignorant is not a bad word. Ignorant means unlearned. I'm ignorant of a lot of stuff, but we don't have to be ignorant of the scriptures. And so here we have learned some things to keep us from being ignorant. Satan and his demons have strategies to steal the word out of our heart, but we're not going to let it, right? Okay, three of us, right, right, we're not going to let it. We're not going to let him steal the word out of our heart. Second thing to be aware of, trouble and persecution because of the word. When it comes, just stop and go, wow, this is just what God said would happen. And I got a choice here. I can quickly fall away or I can decide, hey, I'm going to stand strong in the word of God. Worries of life, deceitfulness of wealth, desire for other things other than God, those things want to choke out the word. You got to keep all those in balance. There's scripture teaching on every one of these topics, how to be victorious in these areas. And then the fourth thing, the proper thing, is to hear the word and accept the word. Hear it and accept it. See, I believe we have choices because God gives insights and gives warnings and gives understanding. There's no need for insights and warnings and understanding if we can't choose what kind of soil we want to be. Paul again said, I'm not ignorant of Satan's devices. Jesus told us in Luke 12, 15, be on the lookout, be aware of all kinds of greed. So we don't have to let riches deceive us because we can be aware of all kinds of greed. So there's strategies for being good soil. Now, 
there is a thought process among some where they go, well, Tracy, you teach all the time that our salvation is not by earning anything. It's not by our human effort and human steam. It is by believing, by believing. I do teach that because that's what the Bible teaches. But I want you to know this. God is not opposed to effort. He isn't opposed to effort. So God is not against effort. What he is against is earning. Not effort, but earning. I think we've got a slide for that. So I want you to get this in your mind. There's all kinds of things where the scripture tells us to make every effort. Make every effort to add to your faith. And he lists all kinds of things. Press in, practice, do these things. There's all kinds of effort that's involved in anything you do. But none of those things earn you anything. You don't earn your salvation from it. But you should be making effort and I should be making effort. So we hear the cry of Amos, the old... Testament fig farmer turned prophet as he challenges and warns the Jews and he challenges and warns us today because we know the Bible says the Old Testament stories that they are examples for us. So he warns the Jews who have grown lazy and they've grown lax and they've done it predominantly because of the abundance that they live in. So it's the two-edged sword of keeping abundance and prosperity in the right place. And so Amos cries out, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. A more modern way of saying it would be this. Woe to you who are complacent. Complacent means self-satisfied, smug, arrogant. Woe to you who are complacent, self-satisfied, smug, arrogant in Zion or Jerusalem. And to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. What he's doing is he's pressing them. Amos is saying, you guys think you're all that. You think, oh, we're, we're, we're fine. We're rich. We're wealthy. We're, we, people come to us for advice. We, we got a great location where we live. Everything's perfect. And so he's really pushing them, saying, no, it, I don't care how many people are coming seeking advice out of you or how big you think you are. You need to quit being complacent. You and I need to live with a holy dissatisfaction. And I really want us to be careful that a holy dissatisfaction, because there's an unholy dissatisfaction that says this, I'm no good, I'm never going to make it, I probably disgust God, he doesn't want to have anything to do with me. That, that's not right. That's, that's against the word of God. You are deeply loved by God. You are the apple of his eye. When he looks around, he looks at you and has good thoughts, the Bible says. He thinks about you all the time, and his thoughts towards you are good. But what I can have is a holy dissatisfaction that just says this, oh my goodness, there's so much more of God to grasp. There's so much more of his beauty. There's so much more of his power. There's so much more of his presence. There's so much more of his kindness, so much more of his love. And so I'm going to go after God every day. I'm going to go for God every day. I'm not going to become complacent. I'm not going to become self-satisfied. I'm not going to become smug. I'm not going to become self-righteous. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have a hot fire blazing for God. I'm going to love God with all my heart. I'm going to love my neighbor like I love myself. I'm going to go after God. I'm going to wake up every morning on fire for God. I'm going to take him to school. I'm going to take him to work. I'm going to take him to the neighborhood. I'm going to take him everywhere. I'll tell you one guy, he's got a thousand stories. Jim Burden always has a story somebody's sharing Jesus with. And a couple of things the Lord does with him. 
is he'll lay on his heart to share Jesus. You know, uh, last one I heard was it was uh, at uh, Papa John's drive-thru. So, first of all, most of these stories take place at a restaurant. Uh, no, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. And, and God will just lay something on his heart, and he'll, he'll just go for it. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You know, go for it. And so I want to wake up every day and say, I'm on mission. I'm on mission. I want to do something for God today. It may not be colossal. It may not be writing a book. You may not go speak on a world stage for the Lord, but you know what? There's somebody at that drive-thru that needs a word of kindness or some love or some care. I mean, that, you'd be shocked how many people could just use a little kindness from you when they make a mistake. They make a mistake. There was a guy working in our garage one day, and he had a ladder up, and he was doing some work, and he shut the garage door and hit the ladder and fell over and hit the tank of my motorcycle. God rest his soul. Um, and so, obviously, if you do that, somebody, that wigs you out, you know, because it dented the tank of the motorcycle. And he's like filling off. I said, look, dude, I said, if that's the worst thing that ever happens to me in life, what a wonderful life it will be. He said, you're, you're not mad? I'm not mad. Okay. Well, I talked to his boss, who, not to complain about that, but he told the boss about it. So I talked to the boss, and I said, I just, you know, hey, who hasn't made a mistake? You know, it's like he who is without sin casts the first stone. So I said, he hasn't made a mistake. He said, he said you don't know what that, a lesson that was for him because he gets mad about everything. He's busted five phones in the last six weeks, getting mad about something, throwing the phone, smashing it. And I, I thought, wow. Now, I didn't know that, but it was a testimony to him. Believers live different than unbelievers. Now, if I would have flipped out and done all that, and I, I get it, we should be responsible, but... You know, sometimes just an act of kindness can be overwhelming to somebody. So be kind. The world could use a little more kindness. So let's be in hot pursuit of God. Let's not get sidetracked. Olympic marathon runner, Shizo Kanakuri. He did the trials to earn a competition spot in the 1912 Stockholm Olympics in Sweden. When he was doing his uh, trials, he actually set a record, a world record, in running a marathon. And so at that time, Japan was so poor. Now, isn't that funny thing about what a powerhouse Japan is today financially? But at that time, they could only afford to send two people to the Olympics, and he was one of them. It was an 18-day journey. I mean, we're talking 1912. It's an 18-day journey. He rode a boat forever and then a Trans-Siberian railway to get there. And when he got there, after 18 days, he was so exhausted that it took him five days to recuperate just enough to run the race. And when he was running the race, the marathon, he figured out he was not fully recuperated. He passed out along the trail. A little Swedish family got him in the house, nursed him back to health, which didn't take long. And he was so embarrassed, he felt like such a failure to his nation that he never even reported it to the Olympics, and he just sleeked back home and went back about his life and never reported it. 
The Swedes thought for 50 years they had lost an Olympic runner that they had never been able to find, but they found him. They found him one day living in Japan, and so they told him, they said, would you like a chance to run that marathon now? And he said, sure. Now, there's a problem. He was missing for 54 years. I looked up his timeline. He was 75 years old when he went back to Stockholm and ran the race. I can't imagine running the race when I was young and in shape, let alone being 75 years old. He went back and he ran that race, and they logged his time, and here is his official Olympic time for that marathon. Are you ready? 54 years, 8 months, 6 days, 5 hours, 32 minutes, and 20.3 seconds. That was his official time. Well, when he started to when he finished, 54 years, 8 months, 6 days, 5 hours, 32 minutes, 20.3 seconds, and Kenneth Curry said this, it was a long trip. <laughs> he said, along the way, I got married, had six children and ten grandchildren, <laughs> all in one marathon race, but it was a pretty long race. First of all, two thumbs up to the dude who finished the race. Can you agree for that? <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. And God has all kinds of wonder stories through the scripture where he takes somebody that's been lost forever and gets them back on path. But I want to see another side of the story too. Let's not get lost. Let's not get off the path. Let's not get sidetracked for 50 years. Let's not get sidetracked for 50 days. Let's stay on the course. Because when we stay on the course, our lives and the lives of those around us get transformed. So allow the Lord to get you up, dust you off, and move on. Our assignment was the verse we looked at, or the slide we looked at earlier. It's the be aware of. So that's what I want you to focus on this week. And I want you to say, where can I set aside time and focus to grow spiritually? Now, I'll probably talk about this more next week because it's not just about setting aside a time, but one of the key elements for growth is to figure out how to integrate it into your lifestyle. You'll never set enough time in the morning aside to pray that you'll feel like is enough. But what if you develop a lifestyle of prayer? What if you're praying when you're going down the road, when you're interacting with people, when a a stressful situation comes, or a joyful situation? You'll learn to integrate these principles into our lives, and then we're not just Christians for 15 minutes or 30 or an hour in the morning, but we're believers 24-7, 365 days a year, and that really promotes growth. Let's pray together.